Welcome to episode 71 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the vault studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who ordered a salad from the best burger place in town, John Scott Sloat. Doc, what's going on? I'm not going to let that go so easily, John. Yeah, you made no comments in the meeting itself. This is the first time I'm hearing about this uh, this, uh, dog on me. Well, I'm going to be honest. I was a little little disappointed that you ordered a salad from the best burger place in town during our meeting last Friday. My wife has come to me in the last year or so and just been like, you need to live till you're 85. Like, I will not be alone. You need to live till you're 85. And so I'm just trying to play the long game here okay. with the okay. salad. But you need to be more strategic about when you eat healthy <laughs> and when you decide, I'm going to go for something a little outside of the parameters of health. So you think her lack of presence there should have indicated I go with a burger in that occasion? Uh, I think it at least provided an opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> at least provided an opportunity. So uh, in any case – so we are at the end of our academic We're right semester. There, How, how's final grading, finals grading going? Well, see, all my stuff comes in tomorrow. Okay. So I'm in a little bit of the lull before the storm hits. You know, it's the the hurricane warnings have been issued, mm-hmm. and now it's batten down the hatches and put the plywood over the windows and get ready for the onslaught coming tomorrow. Yeah, I'm I'm in a similar boat. So uh, my finals online, so it grades itself, which is lovely. Uh, but I have a paper due tonight at midnight, um, mm. and so I will not be staying up till midnight to grade those at one a.m. No. But we'll be waking up tomorrow morning and no. trying to hammer some of those out in time to get final grades. And although I have nobody walking in my class, oh, what a relief that is! Isn't that lovely? No yes. one, no one's walking. That's good. Yeah, I've got I've got, I've got a handful, so that's not too bad. Um, which basically means that grades have to be turned in by Thursday at 4 or 5, I think. I can't remember which. Yeah, something like that. So that the registrar can work the the magic of the final GPA and mm-hmm. award honors accordingly. But in any case, um, grateful to be near the finish line. You're so near yeah, the finish line. Yeah, yeah, near the finish line and not feeling so buried by grading yeah. that I don't see a way out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, if you'd love to connect with us, you can find us on uh, Twitter at V&SPod. You can email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook, Various and Sundry Podcast. Give us a like and a follow there. And we are also available on YouTube where you can actually watch the video of our interview with Barnabas Piper from last episode. Yeah, so not just the audio episode, but our video uh, of that. And so that was uh, that was a great uh, experience. If you have not checked out that episode, strongly encourage you to do it. Barnabas is a great interview. He's funny. He's thoughtful, and um, I felt like he felt right. He fit right into our yeah, sort of dynamic here. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, hope. Hope. Hopeful to have him on campus here in the future and, yeah, and be, be able to do an in-person episode. I think that'd be that'd a lot be of fun. That'd be terrific. So, all right. And uh, we would love for you to leave us a review or and or a rating, a five-star rating only, please. Yes. Uh, on, on whatever platform you're accessing uh, our show, we're grateful for you uh, listening. And, and we continue to expand 
our listenership, at least globally, from what I'm seeing. Uh, I won't name the most recent country to add to the list because of security concerns, but uh, shout out to that listener. <laughs> she, she, yeah. Uh, but uh, let's let's uh, catch us up a little bit here on the world of sports. We're still uh, going to be NBA playoffs heavy here because that's kind of the big story. Though I guess I mean, wasn't the was the Kentucky Derby this past weekend? Did it I, was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you care? Uh, or was it the weekend before? I think it was the weekend before, but yeah. we we haven't recorded since the Kentucky Derby. That's right. Um, Do you care? I mean, I care more than I did before living in Kentucky. Yeah, that your year of exile yeah, in yeah. Louisville. And I've been to Churchill Downs now, okay. um, which was which was a lot of fun to go to. Uh, I did not watch the race, nor no. did I attend a party or host a party about the Kentucky <laughs> Derby, which is a big thing in Louisville. They they, they do this. This is yeah. this is their shtick. You yeah. know, they they have the largest fireworks display in North America every year down there. They wow. close down the bridge. Um, and shoot fireworks off of it. Nice. Um, they have a concert in the park and everything. I mean, it's it's a it's a big production. Um, the one year I watched it, I actually went across the bridge first on the Indiana side, watched it, um, and we were in somebody's backyard, and they go, "Oh, you're not going to be able to see the fireworks from here," even though they were having a giant party to see the fireworks. Uh-huh. So we maneuvered ourselves and ended up watching it while a homeless guy peed on a wall over <laughs> in the corner. We were watching these fireworks go off. It was just like, oh, my gosh, this is awful. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but no, uh, the big news coming out of the Kentucky Derby, though, is the horse was using performance-enhancing drugs. Yes. He's a junkie. Yep. Yeah. How much moral culpability are we placing on the horse versus the trainer, though, here? I mean – yeah, probably very little okay. on the horse. Okay. That's, that's good to know. Um, and you wonder, like, does does the jockey know? Is the jockey in on it, or is that something yeah, that, I have no that idea. he's just excluded from? I have no idea. I and I don't understand how the owner trainer jockey relationship works. Not a clue. I imagine the jockey is the last piece of that puzzle. Yeah, and I just know that jockeys are short. Yeah, that's small, small humans. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I think we've reached the end of our knowledge about the Kentucky Derby, right? Yeah, yeah. Horses have four legs. Yep. Let's move on. Let's do that. So NBA playoffs. Uh, I think we're about four games away. This is the last week of the regular season. Most teams okay. probably have three, four games left, and um, lots of discussion about the uh, the play in tournament that leads into the playoffs. How do you feel about that just as a general principle in terms of having uh, teams that finish 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th have a play-in to, have a play yeah. in to solidify the 7th and the 8th spots? Well, base, I, I try to look at other sports, but baseball does something similar yeah. where they have that one-off game. Mm-hmm. Baseball is a little bit different where you just like, I'm going to put my ace on the mound. He's going to go eight, maybe all nine innings and try to mm-hmm. try to dominate you. Basketball feels a little bit different. It's a little bit more team oriented. So I don't. I don't know if I'm crazy about it in basketball. What, what do you think? I think on the um, on the business side of things, it's genius mm-hmm. because it it expands the circle of teams competing for postseason spots. Sure. And anytime you do that, I think it probably. Uh, tends to raise the level of play by for by teams that otherwise would 
you know, kind of be mailing it in at this point. Mm-hmm. So you have more teams competing for more spots. The downside, I think, is that it means that you're potentially getting more bad teams in the playoffs. Sure. And so I that that's that's the downside to me. It's interesting uh, for you know suddenly what was it, about a week ago I think LeBron James came out and was like this is awful. Well, it's the first time he's commented on it because suddenly the Lakers are probably going to have to play <laughs> in it and it directly affects him, you sure. know. But uh speaking of the sort of positioning here, uh that is one story the Lakers have fallen all the way to 7th currently, which would put them in the playoff the play-in tournament. Um, and I think they're a game behind the Blazers uh, for that sixth spot. So they still could sneak out of that. But here's my question for you, John. Okay. Regardless of whether they are in the play-in tournament or get the sixth spot, do you think the Lakers have any realistic chance of winning the West, let alone getting uh, you know winning winning the title this year? So where where's their injuries at right now? I, th- I think Lebron's that's... Lebron came back for like a game. And then he must have tweaked the ankle again because he's sitting again. AD is back. I don't know that he's 100 percent, but he's – you know, he's probably 90 percent out there. Yeah. If they were both – like let's say they were both on – both injured all season, the backups scraped together uh, a seventh or eighth season, then they were coming back full strength. I think I'd say they got a pretty good chance. The fact that neither of them are full strength right now makes me think they're probably – they'll probably win the playing game I imagine, but – yeah, they may be they may be bounced in the first or second round. Yeah, I don't think their prospects for this year are, are are very good. And even LeBron came out and said, "I'm not sure if I'll ever be a hundred percent again after this high ankle sprain." Hmm, that's scary if you're a Lakers fan. Yeah, in, a, in any case, um, uh, so in the West, I think you still have Jazz, Suns, Clippers, and Nuggets. Uh, I like the I potentially like the Nuggets coming out of the West, even though they're in fourth. If Jamal Murray can come back, yeah, uh, the fact that they're playing so well without him should be scary to the rest of the league. Yeah, um, let's move to the East. Uh, not much has changed in terms of positioning. I think Philly has jumped Brooklyn, uh, so it's still Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, those top three spots, mm-hmm. and then the New York Knickerbockers, the Knicks, holding feel, down fourth. It feels like the nineties again. <laughs> <laughs> I feel young again. Yeah, yeah. They picked up a nice win yesterday against the Clippers. Yeah, yeah. Um, beat beat the Clippers with both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on the floor. Yeah, uh, which was that's an exciting win. Anytime you can beat those guys, despite starting the game down ten nothing. Yeah, you know, one of those West Coast starts, and uh, for whatever reason, they're down ten nothing quick, and then battled the way back. Yeah, and and Julius Randle is he's become a different player. Yeah, I don't know. What, I don't know why he's so hard. He's so difficult to manage. Is it he's left-handed? Is it you know like uh, obviously he's huge, but mm-hmm. he wasn't this way with the Lakers. Um, but he seemed to develop some sort of yeah. uh, amazing game over quarantine. Yeah, he's gone from a very good NBA player to someone who you say, "Wow, he's terrific now." Yeah. Like he 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 is moving into that realm of could he carry a team? Mm-hmm. And I think he. Could I'm not saying they're going to make a deep playoff run this year, but he has elevated his game to the point where you think that's a guy like a Jimmy Butler from last year who could put a team on his back and win a few games, maybe even steal a series in the playoffs. Sure. Um, R.J. Barrett has also elevated his game this season in his, yep. his second year in the NBA too. So that's that's been that's been fun to watch uh, to yeah. watch happen. 
What about uh, Major League Baseball? How are your beloved Mets doing? Uh, five in a row. Um, there was a scuffle in a tunnel. Did you hear about this? No. Um, yeah, Francisco Lindor and Jeff McNeil, the second baseman, apparently went into the tunnel and and were screaming at one another. During like, a game? Seventh inning. Okay. Yeah, we're screaming at one another over a pass ball, so much so that three or four of the of the players on the team rushed into the tunnel to like break it up. <laughs> so they obviously got requested by the media and Francisco Lindor goes out and goes, it was the craziest thing. I saw a rat in the tunnel <laughs> and I told Jeff, bro, I've never seen a rat before. And he goes, no, man, it was a raccoon. And that's what they were fighting about. Um, and then Jeff McNeil gets to the podium and continues to play along and goes, that was no raccoon. It was a possum. <laughs> and so they they created this mythos of yeah. this rat raccoon. Yeah. And this, the GM came out, uh, unfortunately, and just goes, yeah, we don't like the way this is being handled. It was it was just a fight. <laughs> <laughs> However, like everybody's buying into the to the rat raccoon sort of uh, mm. uh, uh, I don't uh, mythos of, of only in baseball. Happened. Only in baseball could this happen. Yeah, yeah. only in baseball. only when you have a hundred and sixty two games and you play every <laughs> single day. Now, both of them have been hitting the ball amazing since then. So okay. Uh, you know, Francisco Lindor had a home run later in that game and a double and then, I mean, just got walked and then stole second, throw in the center field. He eventually got home on that play. So, okay. I mean, they're, they're both playing amazing since then. So maybe this was good. Maybe the rat-raccoon paradox has uh, amplified our chances here. Yes, yes. Man, If it, it, it could be a long summer of sports talk if we're reduced to uh, conspiracy theories about rats, possums, raccoons. And, yeah. uh, I, Nate, <laughs> Nate from Ohio texts me, rat or raccoon, Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. OK. Well, you know, whatever amuses us, I suppose, here. So Let's move on to our main topic for today. And John, why don't you introduce what we're talking about today? Yeah. So I think I sent uh, – this is an article from the New York Times. Uh, uh, we'll obviously link it in the show notes. Uh, but it's, in t- it's, got a, it's got a catchy title. Um, Could I be my own soulmate? Question mark. Um, <laughs> it's an article from uh, December 2019. I think I sent this to you before we started recording – podcasts even like i think we had maybe recorded some of our like pra- practice, practice episodes. episodes yes but uh, Which we'll so- never see the light of day um <laughs> but uh the 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 tagline underneath uh, underneath the main headline is uh maybe emma watson and lizzo are onto something uh the idea that they don't necessarily need another person to fulfill them. Mm-hmm. They're fulfilled on their own. So that, so they're uh, creating this thing called self-partnering or, or at least talking about this. Yes. So we, we should probably note that uh, just to be clear, this article was released pre-COVID. Yeah, December 2019. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, who, who knows how different things might have been framed or talked about in a, if this happened – if this article was written during COVID or in this sort of – Almost post-COVID era, but um, yeah, let's uh, so let's just kind of walk through what is going on in this article. So the the author is a is a, a guy named Bradley Onishi, I think is how you'd probably yeah, pronounce I th- that. I, th- I think so. 
who is an associate professor of religious studies at Skidmore College, which I don't know where that is. I, I did a little bit of prep. Okay. I, know. Uh, I, d- I did not. <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually a liberal arts school uh, in uh, the state of New York. Okay. Got about 2,500 students apparently. So, so a, a very classic traditional liberal arts. So not a religiously linked mm-hmm. liberal arts school. Sure. So he is a uh, professor of religious studies there. And uh, so, yeah, let's uh, let's kind of set the stage of what what he's talking about. You mentioned the – uh, the comment by Emma Watson, uh, perhaps better known as Hermione <laughs> in the Harry Potter yeah. series. Um, Whose career went on a meteoric rise right towards the end of those uh, – yeah. towards the end of those uh, – towards the end of, end, of, end of those movies. Yes. Um, she even uh, – li- she went to Brown, living in New York City, would hide books in the subway for people to find. Um, which I went, there's no more Hermione thing than hiding books (laughs) uh, for people to find. Yes. So she uh, apparently described herself as self-partnered in a article in British Vogue. I know you're a careful reader of that that periodical. I'm a big subscriber. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And the author here, uh, Onishi, goes on to uh, indicate that she is going on her journey of self-fulfillment and discovery Alone, and then he refers to a. Uh, I'm going to sound like such an old old dude here. A, a rapper and flutist, flautist mm-hmm. named Lizzo. Yeah, do you know Lizzo? <laughs> I do not. We'll have to listen to some Lizzo music after the pod. Oh yeah. gosh, not uh, not a remote clue as to who that is. Uh, she has some MBA connections, actually. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, we can talk about it off pod. It's probably not appropriate for pod. But. Okay. <laughs> Who apparently went from underground star to mainstream darling back in the summer of 2019, uh, according to this author here, has a song entitled Soulmate, in which the uh, has this uh, set of lyrics. I'm my own soulmate. I know how to love me. I know that I'm always going to hold me down. Okay. Yep. Are you familiar with this song? I not that song. No. Okay. No. All right. But there's some Lizzo songs on the radio. I, I can introduce you once we're off the pod. <laughs> okay. Thanks for keeping me relevant. <laughs> um, so uh, from that, the author goes on to talk about give, gives a little bit of a kind of very brief history of marriage in terms of how that's been thought about in Western culture. And uh, and then um, moves on into some other conversations related to this. I don't want to just walk through the entire article. I want to hit on highlights. So, John, what were some of the things that stood out to you in this article about the possibility of being your own soulmate? Um, well, I, I think the first thing that stands out in this article is that he brings complementarianism uh, uh, to the forefront uh, here. You know, it just, yes. it's, it's a little bit of a throwaway uh, uh, line, but uh, it felt like here's what it did. It felt like a weird flex to yeah, me. Yeah, that he he uses the term uh, in a way that's not quite really accurate. Like it, it it's sort of right, but not yeah. really. Well, it was clear he didn't know any complimentarians. Right. You know that that was <laughs> right. And so um, yeah, so he introduces this idea 
this uh, this approach to marriage wherein two members of opposite sex complete each other was essentially religious in origin. And then here's the parenthetical comment, complementarianism for the theologians out there. Um, so uh, is, is that a piece of complementarianism? I suppose, <laughs> but um, it just felt like a very weird flex in a New York Times article uh, to throw that in there when uh, that's not really necessarily what complementarianism is about. But in any case, um, yeah. What else maybe grabbed your attention besides the uh, the, the weird sort of uh, flex on that? You know, uh, just reflecting on this idea, generally speaking, uh, it, it it does make me think of what is a what is a modern postmodern or post postmodern you know wherever we are um, what is what is the idea of that kind of person who doesn't need other people in order to have some sort of uh, fulfillment or connection or a, a, any of those sorts of things um, this this line caught me um, a little bit where he says. Uh, uh, this leaves us with a changing vision of the one. Uh, many of us no longer require love, much less a soulmate, to fulfill our rudimentary needs. Partnership is now seen as a pathway uh, toward perpetual self-growth. Um, and I think that's a that's a good sentence to capture how I think a number of people view relationships, marriage, um, uh, 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 partnerships with mm-hmm. with uh, dating relationships. It's about this isn't about um, connecting or uh, producing something better. It's about my own development and how I how I go about things. Well, I think that what struck me is uh, moving on from that. Uh, Onishi brings out two phrases that I think do capture the sort of spirit, the the the, the sort of the zeitgeist, the the spirit of the times that we live in. Um, where he refers to self-actualization mm-hmm. and then he has this uh, line where he says, since 1965 – seems like a very specific date by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, since 1965, American marriages have formed around the ideal of expressive individualism, which centers on the creation of individual identity and the charting of a path of personal growth. So that the I, – I think in some ways that's the heart of the article. I, I agree, yeah. That, uh, that according to this approach, marriage is just one more tool, mm-hmm. one more venue for a higher end. And that higher end, sort of the, the highest of ends, the, the end for which humanity was uh, – is to live according to this framework is – self-actualization, the expression of however we want to define ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you know that ties in with uh, some of the other kind of reading that that you and I both have done in, in the areas of cultural analysis and uh, and thinking about that, obviously, uh, if you really want to go the deep dive, you can go into the Charles Taylor, a secular age. The 800-page slog that I do not recommend necessarily, only for the hardiest of souls perhaps. But um, this idea that 
the ultimate goal of life is to uh, use whatever means are necessary to express who we want to be regardless in some ways of the consequences to others mm-hmm. and regardless of what reality is. Sure. And this this is where I think where Emma, Emma Watson and, and Lizzo um, are off. That sort of self-partnered, self-actualization piece um, requires a tremendous amount of wealth uh, and privilege yeah. within the, the modern society. Yeah. You know, uh, you and I, despite our you know vast amounts of wealth from working at Grace College and Seminary, indeed, uh, can't can't pull this off in a lot of ways, right? Certainly not to the same level that sure. someone like an Emma Watson can. I mean, you know, it it, it it's um, it, it's certainly a this is not even a first world problem. This is an elite sure. problem. Sure. Or maybe opportunity, I guess, is mm-hmm. a privileged a privileged opportunity. Those who have extensive amounts of, of wealth and privilege could try to pull this off. The the ordinary Joe walking the walking the streets here in Warsaw and Winona Lake can't pull this. Not off. so much. Yeah, not um, so much. He does go on to to quote this uh, uh, Doctor Finkel. Great name. Qu- quite a bit. Um, Excellent uh, relationship. Uh, it almost sounds like fickle. But anyway, uh, he does go on to say uh, those who do find a partner who fulfills the highest levels of need hit the jackpot. The all or nothing marriages means those who cultivate deep emotional and psychological bonds with their partner will likely enjoy the most intimate form of human relationship. There does seem to be in, – in his writing, there does seem to be an understanding that like this ultimately won't work for most people or – you know. The ones that will truly find fulfillment or joy even in their relationship will be the ones that find a partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's – you know, it, uh, even comes out and summarizes uh, towards the end of that uh, – I think that's the same paragraph there. Uh, marriage is now one of several avenues to becoming your best self, mm-hmm. one of several along with career and um, other kinds of relationships that um, that are all part of the potential toolbox. It's, it's up to you, however you want to construct whatever your uh, self, uh, your best self is. And so um, that, that does uh, obviously raise all sorts of um, all sorts of interesting, Questions from a biblical worldview, right? In oh, terms oh, of absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> in terms of this, I mean, beyond just the expressive individualism, which is a, is a, is its whole own uh, entity, but um, <clears throat> even just thinking about the picture of marriage mm-hmm. that the Bible lays out versus what um, what this approach takes is quite striking. Uh, though I will point out there is. At, at one level, a a point of agreement mm-hmm. in that marriage is a means to an end. Mm-hmm. It's not the ultimate end, which some in our culture have tried to make it, and that sure. of course makes it into an idol. And we've talked about that before. Yeah. yeah, but it is a means to an end. Where they disagree on is what's the ultimate end. Yeah, 
you know, this this article summarizes an approach that's trying to essentially argue for marriage is a means for my own self-actualization, for me to become the best version of me that I can mm-hmm. become. Uh, the biblical picture is marriage is ultimately a reflection of God and his people, of Christ and his church, and that it is intended to reflect that relationship, which obviously is a very different dynamic than, oh, yeah. what, uh, than what this is uh, offering. Yeah, absolutely. And marriage in, in the biblical sense requires two individuals, just, just on the ground level, who are self-giving to one another, self-denying uh, mm-hmm. and, and giving up of self to one another. Um, and <laughs> the self-actualization model is exactly the opposite. It's yeah. seeing what you can take from the other person. Right. You, yeah. Yeah. You are you are only valuable to me in as much as you have something to make me better. And to to the to the extent that you don't make me better, then uh, that re- that relationship becomes, uh, in essence, disposable in mm-hmm. some ways. You know, optional. Uh, but here's what was fascinating to me. So the guy that wrote this article is a professor of religious studies. And around the – towards the end of this, it's like he's trying to smuggle a little bit of a remnant of a Christian worldview yeah. back into this conversation. And I don't think this is some like secretive like he's being an, you know, a sort of salt and light evangelist, <laughs> you know, apologist. He's not doing what a Tim Keller might do in terms of a mm-hmm. – let's talk about this from a secular perspective and then maybe suggest – there's a better way. But uh, at the towards the very end of the article, when he's talking about um, this idea of um, a, a healthy marriage uh, can promote uh, independence and self-sufficiency, he, he says this. He says, this means that for many of us, self-fulfillment arrives through self-giving. Mm-hmm. And you just want to say – um, I don't understand how that fits with this paradigm that he's offering, but that's getting closer to what Scripture actually says in terms of self-sacrificial love, that at the heart of marriage is both partners dying to self mm-hmm. in order to pursue what's best for the other person. Mm-hmm. Like That's part of what's so striking here is that biblical marriage is not – how do I become the best person? It's how do I live in such a way to partner with God or, or, or sort of cooperate with God to make my spouse the best person they can be consistent with who God has made them to be? Yeah, absolutely. I, I noted that as well, that, uh, that he seems to give a little, a little nod almost to like, this maybe isn't the best way. There, there's maybe a better way or maybe he did it unknowingly, but – yeah, it, it's it's hard for me to figure out whether it's it's one of those examples where when a, when someone is rejecting or criticizing a biblical or Christian worldview that they have to borrow from the Christian worldview in order to do it, mm-hmm. and it's sort of a well, in order to support this, I'm going to have to borrow that little self giving piece from the Christian framework of what marriage is in order to try to support this secular approach to sure. to marriage. Um, and so I think uh, that that to me is was probably one of the, the most fascinating 
pieces of this article was yeah. the like, yeah. oh, wait, wait, what's he trying to do there? Like he's smuggling back in some sort of uh, modified Christian view. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was hopeful uh, that since we waited over a year to, to talk about this article – um, that we would find that Emma Watson was in a relationship talking about how <laughs> how fulfilled she was and how happy she was in, yeah. in this relationship. Or Lizzo, who's frankly fallen off a little bit, but we'll still talk about some of her music <laughs> okay. off pod. <laughs> okay. Um, but I do think um, this uh, this article is fascinating to give us a sense of where, where our culture is at. Let me ask you a question. This is more from a this is springboarding off this article. Okay. What do you think of the concept of a soulmate? <laughs> um, I did think a little bit about this before uh, stepping in, uh, before getting on the mic. Um, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, okay. of the term soulmate. Uh, I. Now, are you saying that, well, in God's providence, there's one person who you're going to marry, you know, God's sovereignty, he knows all, there, therefore there's one person? Sure. Um, but I, I think the idea of a soulmate where you just fit together and things are really easy and good and light and excellent from that point forward, I, you know, sort of sort of the Disney, Disney part of this, mm-hmm. um, I probably won't, wouldn't be on board with. I, I think marriage and relationship are two people who make a deep commitment to one another, um, who love and care for one another and, and work towards some of the things you've just outlined where I'm, uh, I am working with God to, to help bring about the best of my spouse and my spouse is doing the same for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's hard. <laughs> yeah. It sounds pretty glorious in, in the moment, but in the, the day-to-day of it's quite difficult. Sure. Um, do, do you have thought – do you have a, a hot take on soulmates? Well, I, I, I'll start with um, I don't think it's a biblical idea unless you're going to really redefine it around the terms you kind of did there in yeah. terms of the um, – is God sovereign? Does he providentially direct things? Yes, I think he does, of course. But um, I, I think that the sort of cultural, cultural narrative around that of like there's just this one person out there that's just going to be – you know. Uh, is is so perfect for me that um, we'll instantly recognize it and we'll have this unending blissful mm-hmm. relationship that lasts forever kind of thing. You know the first time you guys lock eyes that right. this is yeah. – Right. Um, and I, I just think, man, biblically speaking, and this is a whole other conversation at some level, but when you look at how marriage was done in the biblical world, it was almost always arranged. Mm-hmm. Between families, so this even this notion of romantic love as the foundation of it is uh, is not biblical. Mm-hmm. That actually it was rooted in other things where there was a commitment first, and that ideally romantic love grew out of a shared commitment to one another and to God. But that's a whole other yeah, that's a whole other episode. But yeah. I, but I do think that one thing that is um, is underappreciated is how much that over the course of marriage, God continues to um, sort of blend together the two the, the the husband and the wife, so that they do begin to take on more of each other's characteristics mm-hmm. in, in terms of and so that can I think produce that sense of we were made for each other. 
mm-hmm. that, and that God is continuing to make us and change us and transform us for each other. And so I think that there's some element of that that's true. But I, again, I, that's redefining the term pretty sure, pretty severely. Sure. Yeah, yeah I, I would I would not uh, just using that term. I think again, this is one of my big pet peeves in general in culture, in theological discussions, in political discussions, we too often don't stop to define terms and then we mm-hmm. talk past each other because we're ta- using terms in different ways. Yeah. But in any case, um, maybe we should give the uh, the listeners some suggestions on um, resources that they can pursue to have a, a, a more rooted biblical understanding of marriage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the first one that comes to mind for me would be uh, Tim Keller's uh, The Meaning of Marriage, uh, becoming something of a classic uh, in yeah. the marriage realm um, in, in recent years. Yep. And, uh, and and John Piper's book, This Momentary Marriage, mm-hmm. um, is, is also good and helpful from a sort of biblical theological foundation for that. And you wanted to bring up a book – uh, that deals with singleness. Yeah, yeah, because I, I think there's a tendency when seeing an article like this to go like, oh boy, people just need to get married and, and all these things and everything will be fixed. Right. Um, Sam Alberry uh, has been single his his whole life um, and uh, and wrote a book. It's based on a TGC talk he did a number of, gosh, probably four years ago now uh, called uh, Myths About Singleness. So his book is Seven Myths About Singleness. Uh, excellent, excellent resource on singleness and just even some of the benefits of singleness and some of the things that are really hard uh, mm-hmm. about singleness. Yep. Excellent. So we'll post a link to this article so you yep. can read it for yourself as well as a, uh, a link to these uh, recommended resources. But uh, I think uh, our verdict is no, you can't be your own soulmate. Yeah, I, I think that was a given <laughs> when, when we when we started the conversation. Okay. I, I think I knew where we were going to come right. down. Yeah, well, I appreciate your confidence. Uh, let's <laughs> move on. It is episode 71 and we need an athlete. So, John, walk us through. Yeah, so uh, Alex Karas. Karas. Karas, like the fellowship um, <laughs> or the Greek Spell, word. Spelled yeah. differently though. Uh, he's a defensive tackle for the Lions. Way uh, back in the day. Yeah, and then and then became an actor. Yeah, so are you familiar with him? You'd, no. I think you'd recognize really? him. Really? Yeah. What, what has he been in? Like, I mean, this was, I mean, obviously, if he played football in the, you know, in the 60s, essentially. Yeah. Um, he, he had a bunch of different roles, but he hasn't been in anything, I think, since like the 80s. So before your time. Okay, okay, before my time. Um, yeah. Let's see. Walter Jones, uh, mm-hmm. offensive tackle uh, for the Seahawks. Uh, I think he blocked for – did he block for Sean Alexander? Was that uh, – Would have been. Yeah. I mean he's yeah. from 97 to 2009, a a, a big piece of, uh, <clears throat> of Seattle's offensive line during that time. I, th- I believe he is in the – I think he's in the Hall of Fame or maybe, maybe okay. not yet. He was, he was a consistent all-pro tackle. OK. Uh, Willie Knowles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was a uh, was a shooting uh, small forward. Sm- excuse me, small forward uh, for the Knicks uh, back when they were no good. <laughs> yeah, Knicks, Warriors, and Celtics from fifty six to sixty six. This is one of those where I do a search for who wore seventy one in the NBA, and there's like three guys, and this was one of well, them. Well, yeah, yeah, the, not a, not a good NBA number. 70, no, 71. no, we're we're definitely in the realm of the offensive and defensive linemen yeah. and in, NHL in players. Yeah, as we'll see here shortly. Uh, Evgeny Malkin, uh, 
Uh, he's a center for the Penguins uh, from 03 to the present. Uh, he came in right before Sidney Crosby. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was living in Pittsburgh at the time. And uh, he was a bit of a big deal. And he, he was, he's in some ways even more accomplished internationally in yes. terms of uh, his, his performance. Yes. So he's, uh, he, he hasn't taken off. So him and Ovechkin, uh, the Washington, uh, Washington Capitals player, are like the same age and grew up together. And have about the same skill set and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malkin doesn't speak English quite as well. Okay. And so I remember after one playoff game, the, the commentator asked him, so how are you going to celebrate? Oh, you know, probably probably go eat my mom's borscht. <laughs> <laughs> and it just became this like thing in Pittsburgh. <laughs> we got to get Malkin's mom's borscht. Must be terrific if yeah. he's going to celebrate that way. Yeah. So, And then for Ohio State, we have Corey Lindsley. Played for Ohio State at center from 2009 to 2013 and has been a essentially an all-pro center for the Packers since then, although he just this offseason uh, signed with the Chargers. Signed with the Los Angeles Chargers. So you, you got a preference in there, John? I mean uh, living in Pittsburgh during Malkin's years. That would be my preference. How about yourself? I'm good with that. OK. I don't okay. have a strong preference here. Yeah. So. You, you're a big fan of Borscht. I mean, just try to separate me from my borscht. Um, one thing you liked. Yeah. So this week, uh, I just finished the audiobook, uh, The Big Short by Michael Lewis. Um, uh, they mm-hmm. made a movie out of this book. Um, but uh, really, really fascinated about the housing crisis in uh, yeah. 0708. Um, not for family listening, okay. I, I, will, I will mention. Helpful but not, to not, note there. Not for family listening, but yeah. uh, fascinating read about Wall Street and what was happening there, even more detail than, mm-hmm. than the movie. Gotcha. Um, Do you ever listen to his podcast, Against the Rules? One or two episodes. You sent it to me. Yes. Yeah. yeah I think you'd enjoy that. It's it, it's good. I don't know if he's p- produced any material within the last year or so. I think it might be kind of dormant right now. But, okay. Um, I remember I started listening to that on our mystery trip. Yeah. In, when, when we were in London. Yeah. So good stuff. Uh, my one thing I liked this week was um, I finished a book by Stephen Saylor, S-A-Y-L-O-R, called Roma, the Novel of Ancient Rome. So it's a historical fiction account of the – basically of the history of Rome Hmm. and the Roman Empire. And volume one gets you – this is volume one. It gets you from like the founding myths even before like Romulus and Remus, the twins that supposedly Hmm. founded Rome and such. Uh, all the way up through um, like around the birth of Christ basically. Hmm. And then I just started volume two. And uh, it's good storytelling. It's it's very rooted in what we know historically. So it's it's hmm. it's you know a good – good historical fiction is a great way to learn some history mm-hmm. without it feeling dry. Like a lot sure. of – a lot of history books can just read very dryly where you're just like, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And it just doesn't have any sort of life or mm. feel to it. But good historical fiction by scholars who know the history and then venture into writing the the sort of historical fiction where they, you know, they hypothesize conversations that happened sure. or things like that. Sure. Um, it's, it's very interesting. Um I'm I'm curious to hear what they do with the the Great Fire of Rome. 
Yeah, well, it's interesting. What's striking is they they he he like jumps. So he'll tell like a kind of in depth story around a few families from you know a, a few years span, and then he'll jump fifty years, hmm. and then have a character at some point kind of give a backfill to fill in some key details. Um, so I'm not sure. I, I'm not quite there yet. He just in the second volume I started, he is talking now about the um, the death of. Uh, the emperor Caligula mm-hmm. and the start of Claudius's reign. Hmm. So that's like 41 AD. But one cool thing is that he's introduced a Christian within the story now. Really? Be- because, um, uh, you know, at this point, obviously, Christianity has begun to take sure. off a little bit. So fascinating to see him introduce a character who's a Christian hmm. into the narrative uh, and see how he is kind of mocked. But he's also a member of a prominent family, so you can begin to see Christianity beginning to get some inroads even into yeah. uh, the elites. I mean, he'd have to. It's hard to tell Rome's history without without Christianity. I was surprised he did it so early, though. Yeah. Forty one A.D. We're less than you know, we're about a decade, depending sure, on when sure. you date the crucifixion of Jesus. But you're about a decade in. Yeah, yeah. You're in the midst of Paul's ministry, and well, even the very beginning of yeah. it. you know. None of the New Testament documents have probably been written mm. at this point. So, yeah. anyway, well, I mean, this is kind of the epitome of what we do around here, right? We talk a little sports. We talk about being your own soulmates. Some, some classic. Some uh, some penetrating cultural analysis yeah, yeah. from a biblical perspective. We talk about uh, obscure, not obscure, obscure to me. Uh, you know. Uh, well, yeah, several of these athletes are obscure to us, although, you know, you were a fan of Evgeny Malkin growing Evgeny. up, yep, yep. at least aware of him, you know, yep. and uh, and we've talked about books that we enjoy. I mean, this is by definition our various and sundry approach. So I think I'm ready to call Mission Accomplished. Are you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so. What if I ever answered no to that question? Like, then well, what, I, I, would, I, would going? I would cede the floor to you. Okay. I would say, okay, this is time for John to <laughs> step back onto his soapbox. Start and, my monologue. And pontificate. Yeah. So but that's not going to happen today. We are ready to call Mission Accomplished. And so until next time, the Lord bless you all real good. Later. Later.